Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 52. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Matt, 52 episodes in, you know what that means? What's that? One year anniversary. This is the one year anniversary? This is. We do an episode every week, 52 weeks in a year, one year anniversary. Wow. Time flies. Yeah, it's amazing. It's actually kind of hard to believe we've sat down and we've done this show that many times. Like, I mean... Yeah, 52 hours. That's pretty cool. That's a lot of content. Yeah, and most of the episodes that we do are longer than an hour. So, I mean, that's quite a lot of free stuff that we actually put out there. You know, it's it's fun to sit down and kind of just shoot the shit on the show. But yeah, it's a, a lot of content. Hopefully, it's been helpful to people. I mean, we get a lot of feedback and the listenership has been growing like crazy. So... Yeah, I couldn't do without you, the people. So thank you very much. Absolutely. So speaking of you, the people, we're kind of going to be talking about something related to that, I think, today. Uh, Today, we want to talk about Uke's responsibilities when training. Now, for those of you who actually have no idea what we're talking about when we say Uke, it's probably worth clarifying this. Uh, Uke is one of those terms that gets pulled from uh, Japanese. A lot of terminology that you hear in jiu-jitsu is going to be like stuff that's actually taken from judo and reappropriated for jiu-jitsu. Uke basically means your partner, whether it be a training partner or an opponent. It's the other guy in the match. So when you're listening to people describe moves, they'll often say something like, when Uke lifts his leg, you do this. Or when Uke pulls his arm back, you do this. So basically, Uke is kind of shorthand for just saying your opponent or your training partner, right? So that's that's effectively what we mean. Now, we've talked in the past about how if you want to maximize training, you want to find a training partner who is interested in helping you get better. I mean, nothing is worse than going to jujitsu and practicing moves and having a training partner who just pulls you out of the experience. And there can yeah. be a, a lot of things that can make your your training better if Uke does them properly. There can be a lot of things that Uke can do that are going to decrease the quality and the enjoyment of your role. And, and honestly... These responsibilities vary a lot depending on the context and depending on who you are and what you want out of jujitsu. So what we want to talk about today is like, how can you be a good uke? We've spent all of this time, 51 episodes, talking about how you can be better as the guy doing the moves. But now let's talk about what you can do as the willing training partner to help your buddy get better when they're practicing with you. Yeah, it makes a huge difference to have training partners that... um that are good UKs. And by that basically just meaning, you know, when you're drilling a technique, they're not just like, they're not too, uh, limp and they're not too rigid. They're basically just, just rigid enough that it's, uh, applying slight resistance and, uh, you know, and 
it, it helps that you know the appropriate responses to certain moves. So I find that drilling on an unwilling opponent as if the opponent's literally no different from a like a dummy, like a training dummy, doesn't really offer the same level of uh, available improvement as, say, somebody who is giving you almost light resistance but not resisting so much that you can't practice the technique so i think that's uh one of the ways one of the ways that we've changed drilling at the academy is basically now the partner reacts a little bit more and and creates a little bit more movement rather than just sitting there and getting uh repetitions on an unresisting opponent yeah we mentioned earlier that part of effective drilling is not just doing the steps as they're described to you, but understanding what the predictable responses are going to be. I mean, that's ultimately what makes a move work. If you just drill and you're just drilling, um, you know, kind of the critical path, the steps that you would take when things are going properly, you're not going to be equipped to deal with a resisting opponent. Now, that said, there's a time and a place for this. Uh, The way that I like to teach my students, when we start off drilling a technique, First, I ask them to basically be a totally willing opponent. You know, let your opponent get some experience doing those moves and getting them into muscle memory. And then gradually, Uke needs to start raising the resistance level bit by bit by bit. Um, I think that when you first start drilling a move, you want a few repetitions where your opponent is basically just like a, a wet fish and they're not doing yeah, anything. You need to learn the movement. Exactly. First. Yeah. So the way that I like to kind of line this up is when you start off and we're drilling like a, a new move, UK should be giving at first, in my opinion, basically zero resistance. Like they should just be letting the other person do what they want until that person has gone through the steps enough that they don't have to stop and think about it. Like that that's really the thing, right? If, if you still are uncomfortable enough with the move that you need to like stop and think at every step and try to recall what it is before you can move forward, at that point, you probably don't want Uke to be resisting because you're just trying to get that stuff into your muscle memory. Now, once it gets to the point where you can execute these steps pretty effectively without having to to think and to slow yourself down that's when you want uk to start turning up the resistance just a bit by bit by bit right uh, you know i generally tell people start off at zero zero percent resistance and then once you've got a feel for the move raise it up to like 30 percent and add a bit of resistance and then raise it up to 50 percent and then raise it up to 70 percent because ultimately the direction you want to go on this journey is you want to get to the point where those actions are in your muscle memory but also you have a feel for what your opponent is likely to do and you can adapt to those predictable responses on the fly then you start drilling those predictable responses now the problem that can happen is if you get stuck with a really stubborn uke who just wants to look awesome on the mat and you're trying to drill something you've never seen before and they're going like a hundred percent right out of the gate that is not an effective uke you have to help your opponent get up to the point where they're ready for that kind of resistance so one of uke's main responsibilities is to understand for the person practicing the move How comfortable are they with this move at this point in time? And then your goal is to take them on that journey to get the resistance level up to something that's a little bit more realistic when you're spar or when you're drilling. Yeah. And, and as an instructor, you know, sometimes when you're walking around watching people practicing certain techniques, uh, you, you forget that you need to keep an eye on also the person who's acting as the uke because Mm -hmm. that person might not be giving the appropriate response or the appropriate, uh, you know, rigidity or whatever. So you also have to give immediate feedback to those people to make the best possible training partner for the person actually getting their repetitions. Right. Um, 
you have to keep an eye out to see, you know, are, are they just lying there? Are they actually engaging themselves? And if I, I found, um, I don't get a lot of time to drill anymore because I'm usually walking around teaching, but back when I was, uh, before I had a school and I was, you know, drilling a lot, I, I would try to also think about mental drilling while I was uke And while my partner was like practicing their reps on me, I was also trying to get some level of training for myself and say, okay, what would I do in this situation? What would be the next appropriate response? And in a way you can kind of get, uh, you can do your drills from two different points of view. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, like some people, I'd say the majority of people kind of know how to be a decent uke. Like common sense is you try and help out your partner basically, and you're, you're there to help them out. But it's funny how, like, if you're a, a newbie, you don't really have that sense of mind sometimes if or mm-hmm. you need to be told or coached on how to be an, uh, an effective uke i find especially with teaching children so much of that is is telling them how to be a good uke and i think that's a really good uh topic to have in a kids class with the kids because uh that like you know just like we're, the name of the episode we are talking about the responsibilities of the uke and it's pretty understandable that kids at a young age won't understand that that is uh, a critical part of the person's development. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, in a lot of ways, it is as much uh, a part of your development as your own action. You know, if you have low quality or difficult training partners or partners who just aren't giving you what you actually need, kind of doesn't really matter how good you are. That's going to impact your training. And that's why it can make such a big difference if you switch a gym. I mean, some I think a lot of you out there have probably had this experience where you're at a gym and you don't feel like you're growing to the level that you want. You feel like you've stagnated and you switch to a different gym and suddenly your learning just like explodes. And that can often be because you're getting exposed to training methods that work better for you, but also you might just wind up getting put together with better partners, right? A lot of the time, if uh, the the level of instruction is not particularly high at a gym, that's going to have a ripple effect onto all of the students. But if you have an instructor who does a good job of building a community and, you know, t- creating a, an environment where Uke is looking out for you, then that's going to benefit you a lot as well. Um, Very it, true. Yeah. And you know, one of, one of the pet peeves that I have when it comes to bad UKs is when they basically go off the script. Like on one hand, you want to drill predictable responses and you want to be exposed to unusual, unorthodox things. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to have your blinders on. But on the other hand, you know, it kind of sucks when you're like drilling butterfly guard and your opponent is just being stubborn and they like just keep standing up or doing something. So you can't even drill the move. Yeah. Uh, this is something there's that always I, that one, yeah. one person in the gym. Yeah. There's always that one. You know who you are if you're listening. Yeah. It's like, I want to look good while I'm sparring. I want to make it difficult for this guy so I can show everyone how good I am. Like that's, not the behavior of a good uke and this is the thing that people need to understand when you are uke your job is to lose basically ultimately your job is to let the other guy succeed if you are practicing like if you're letting um your opponent drill a sweep and you're uke and you're just not letting them sweep you like you're a bad uke the way that you measure your success is you put up appropriate levels of resistance to help your opponent learn but ultimately you want them to succeed like if your if your opponent is not able to successfully complete the move on you at all 
you're a bad uke. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it, it, there is a level of resistance that you want to put up, as we talked about, enough to help encourage you to learn and see predictable responses. But if you're just being so difficult and stubborn that the guy can't even execute the move, like you're really, not only are you probably damaging your relationship with that person, but you're <laughs> denying them the ability to learn. And that is not what a good uke does. Like if you are uke, at the end of the day, your job is to let your opponent successfully get that move on you. Like you want to put up resistance, but if they don't succeed, then you have failed as a uke. Yeah, no, nobody wants to have that uh, reputation in the gym as being the guy that's hard to drill with because it's not a pleasant experience. You know, you could be partnered with someone for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, even doing drills. Uh, you don't want to be known as that guy who is obnoxious to drill with. You want to be, uh, like Steve said, someone who's trying to help the other person more than or just as much as themselves and basically just uh having the attitude of trying to raise the level in the uh room as a whole is mm -hmm. kind of the i think the best attitude for uke to have um and you know it, on another note like taking two different aspects of grappling like in jujitsu you're you're on the ground a lot so it's it's kind of easy to be an uke in jujitsu i find like just letting somebody practice their movements on you you're, you're you know usually you're on the on your back a lot of the time or whatever it's it's pretty easy but then uh a big eye-opening experience for me was when i started training judo i think i was probably a purple belt when being an uke is totally different like terrifying like it's terrifying <laughs> you you have to you first of all you have to learn how to roll properly and take break falls properly but then you actually have to take throws um, being an uke in judo means basically you have to be able to not be afraid to, to get thrown and yeah. thrown hard. And you have to be willing to take throws in judo to make it work. Um, you don't always get the luxury of a crash mat. You don't even get the luxury a lot of the time of taking throws on good mats, right? If you do get, if you do have good mats, you take throws on, take, consider yourself lucky. But, um, you know, any, any amount of resistance in judo, like, uh, in the wrong fashion, could greatly, you know, ruin your partner's training, um, training experience. So you really have to be willing to get thrown, go with the throw. And eventually you kind of, uh, it, it, it kind of has a positive effect on your, uh, game where you don't actually fear getting thrown anymore. And it's sort of not a big deal to show up in judo and just, uh, trade throw for throw. Right. It was kind of, I remember when I first started doing judo and I was like scared to get thrown and I was watching these two, uh, higher level belt just warm up and they were just throwing each other all over the place i'm like oh god that looks terrifying right now like i don't want to have to do that but eventually you get you get comfortable taking throws and it's good for your grappling game overall yeah it's funny you mentioned that because in the context of judo you know you're not just sitting there on the ground letting someone like armbar you exactly. i mean you are getting thrown with a lot of force and that requires you to put a lot of trust in your opponent and it also creates a situation where you do get a lot out of being uke in judo because you learn to fall for sure yeah you learn those movements in, in jujitsu if you're uke like a lot of the time you can just sit there but in in judo you basically are going to get really good at break falling if you're uke yeah i remember watching the show called human weapon it was um like an educational show on martial arts where these guys would go around the world and they do like an episode on an individual martial art and i think they did one on judo and they were talking about how like you know if you really throw someone with force in judo it's like equivalent basically 
literally to the force of a car crash. Like it is, you can really get a lot of force behind a judo throw and you've got to really trust your opponent if you're going to let them do that to you and drill it over and over and over again. And I think judo is a great example because of this, of why the relationship between the, the driller and Uke is so important because there is kind of this mutual interplay of trust. And I do feel sometimes like in the context of jujitsu, because you can get away without it, you get a lot of kind of bad ukes where they're not really as invested in helping the the driller as they probably should be. Yeah, and I think you know, in if you get a high level judoka, uh, and you know you get into like a street situation, if they want to use their judo as self defense, if you uh, are high level enough, you actually understand how to throw someone clean as opposed mm-hmm. to throwing someone not clean, which is usually way more dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Like some guys have such good control of their throws that they can kind of decide how they want their opponent to land, where they want them to land. So yeah, it's it's uh it's important to know how to take these falls because if you ever get thrown up in the air, you have to there's a you know a period between the air and the floor and what goes up must come down. And if you watch some of the most experienced, exciting grapplers, like I think Gray Tonin's a really good example of how he can um, you know, He's never out of out of place. And you can see that in his match versus uh, Hinato Canuto at ADCC, where they're just like flying all over the place. He lands on his feet all the time. He's very comfortable when he's in midair and he's transitioning to the ground. So someone who's that aware of 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 falling and that good at falling, uh, they're always comfortable in scrambles and all types of different grappling situations. That's something that I think that in jujitsu we miss out on, which is the drilling when you're standing with someone. I mean, most people in jiu-jitsu are probably not particularly good at taking a throw. I mean, in addition to just doing the throw itself, that's something that I think requires a lot of repetition. On on the ground, it's a bit different, right? I mean, on, on the ground, you can kind of just ignore uke in a lot of cases, and you don't even really think about uke unless they're being obnoxious to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that if as a good uke, if you have like a positive, mutually beneficial relationship with, with the driller, then it's going to result in both of you getting better. Like as, as uke, you are basically kind of the second instructor in the room for the person doing the drill. There's of course the instructor, but the uke has the ability to greatly impact the quality of the repetition and the training, especially if you are a more advanced uke and you're going with a junior guy, like you then have the benefit of actually being able to provide hands-on advice to the person and direct feedback while they're struggling and trying to execute this move do you think it's uh rude or wrong if you are if you drill a move that the uh professor shows and then you just decide you're going to drill something else happens all the time this is a good question um so i think that there is a line. I mean, we, it's funny. We were just talking to Rob about how like he's militant about like not letting white belts teach and stuff. I mean, I'm actually okay. And by that, we don't mean teach class. We mean literally like sharing something you learned with yeah. another white belt. I actually totally disagree with him on that. I mean, I understand where yeah. he's coming from, but I think that like if you're take if you're taking the stance of like only I can teach, like that's kind of dangerously close to being no, no, really it's, authoritative. It's, it's it's not only I can teach, it's only uh white belts can't teach. Right. So like you could take advice from a blue belt and higher, but mm-hmm. but but he d- basically doesn't want white belts teaching white belts. Yeah. Un- understood, but like all the same, I think that really sends the wrong message, right? I think that at the end of the day you need to encourage people to exchange ideas and if, 
if yeah. you are only going to accept ideas from people who you believe are senior enough, you're kind of shutting down discourse, which I don't think is a good thing. But re- regardless of that, uh, in terms of people basically going off script and practicing their own moves, I mean, it depends how far off script they go. Like if you're basically completely disregarding the instructor and you're just doing something totally different, that's kind of disrespectful in my mind. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But if, if there's like a variant of something that comes up while you're drilling and you want to discuss it and that happens a lot, I'm okay with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I'm doing a move and then my opponent, you know, bases in a, in a way that I don't expect and we start talking about it and maybe we, you know, we can expand on the knowledge there. That happens a lot to me and that I'm okay with. If you want to kind of discuss and have an ongoing dialogue about the move in question and maybe try to add your own flavor to it, I'm totally fine with that. But yeah, when people are basically just ignoring the instructor and doing their own thing, that is not good in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I also disagree with Rob on that. Um, Obviously, some white belts shouldn't be giving uh, information to other people, I think. Mm-hmm. But I also think that uh, everyone should go into jujitsu with the idea that not everyone knows everything and not everything you're told at any given time is the best way to do it, uh, including advice coming from your professor himself. Like, yeah. I think I think all professors should be questioned and and, uh, you know, uh, validated when they're correct, but also just like question, uh, you know, say, well, what if this happened? What would be your, your appropriate response for that or whatever? Um, and I think that also not just I don't I don't look at it so much as white belts not sharing in like getting that chance to share info with others, although that is a thing. But I think it also can shut down like uh, personal relationships. Like mm-hmm. if you sharing and talking with people and meeting new people at jujitsu is kind of uh, something that's a big part of the whole experience. And as a white belt, when you enter a gym, a lot of the time you're probably going to be shit, sh- uh, you know, the, 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 having the shit scared out of you. You don't want to go ask like a purple belt or higher to go drill or roll. So you're going to go and pair up with the white belts a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. like, those will kind of be the people coming up through the ranks with you. Right. So having that open conversation and, you know, who, who knows what friendships you could gain from sharing information with each other. And I also don't think that it's like, like, like I said, like, it's not like it's the and all be all it's, it could literally just be like, Oh, well, Rob showed me this the other day. And you know, oh, cool. That was cool that I shared something with someone and maybe they learned from it. Like, um, I don't think that you're ever going to get information at that level where you're going to like, uh, you're not going to be able to dismiss it one day. If some, if someone shows you a better way, you're going to be like, oh, well, someone taught me this at white belt. And it's like, no, we're not, we shouldn't be married to our ideas anyway. So if someone does share some bad information with you and they're a white belt, you should also have the ability to correct them, correct right. them yeah. or to take, take it for what it is. And, and if you find a better way, go with that other way. Like, I don't think it really will stunt anyone's uh, development. I think no. it only will improve relationships and strengthen actual friendships in the gym. Yeah, That's just my I agree. Opinion. I, I think that shutting down discourse based on levels of expertise is not really the right message to send. It's really a, a matter of beginner's mind, right? Do you really want to create a situation where you're the expert and no one can question you? I mean, are you really so confident in your own experience and knowledge that and that you believe you are right 100% of the time to the point where no one could ever actually challenge and correct your knowledge. Like, I I think that that's when you're, when you're telling people they can't correct you or they can't teach, like that's just 
it's it's not a direction that I think you want to go in. And additionally, on top of that, I mean, and for the record, I don't think that's how Rob feels. I do, I do not think he thinks he's right a hundred percent. No, of the no, no, time. no, no. But I don't think he thinks I shouldn't be questioned at all. So Rob, just yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't feel that way. We're just I, we just disagree on the white belts teaching white belts. Thing. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think the opinions on that topic would be very would be pretty polarized. Like, I think some people would agree with it and some people wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, a counterexample that I would give is, I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure if this is 100% correct, but I did hear an anecdote that, you know, Sean Williams, when he was a blue belt, he started basically doing this weird thing with his arm and his leg and he showed it to Henzo Gracie and Henzo, uh, you know, this is like a blue belt talking to one of the <laughs> a super, super senior and famous black belt. And Henzo basically said, hey, that's cool. Let's work on that. Let's go with it. And they kind of embraced this thing that this blue belt came up with and now we call that sean williams guard um that's basically like the the guard variant where you're kind of like doing an omoplata and you're grabbing clamp yeah yeah, with your clamp under your cool guard actually i don't use it enough it it is really cool and i mean this was innovated by a blue belt and i can say from experience like a lot of the stuff that i do at a black belt level it was ideas i had that started when i was a white belt and i just refined them over the years and over the years and i mean a lot of that was stuff that you know technically a white belt came up with that doesn't mean it's the be all end all but i think that discouraging people from sharing their experience based on or sharing their knowledge or sharing their ideas even based on experience is like eh, i don't know but it's funny because this is uh, actually a problem that you can get with uke is uke can become like uber stubborn a lot of the time and they'll that that's in my mind one of the most frustrating types of uke where the instructor is trying to show something and the uke is like ah that won't work uh no you can't you wouldn't do it that way uh you can't do it that way and yeah. then they, when you're trying to drill it because they disagree with it they're like trying to shut you down to demonstrate that they're right and the instructor's yeah. wrong that is just oh it's so frustrating because yeah, there because any move can get shut down yeah any th- move can get uh you know countered or prevented or whatever depending on the, there's infinite variables yeah. right so to say like well that would never work because of this it's like so would nothing never work yeah th- you know this like is- you know, actually, and this is something that Rob has talked about, which is that like every move, it has a failure rate. You know, no move is going to work 100% of the time. So if you're learning a move, hoping that it's going to always be effective and there's no way to get out of it, you're going to be sorely disappointed. So it isn't really productive for Uke or someone in the class to sit there and say, ah, oh, that wouldn't work. No, you, you can't do that. And then it when, would be funny to watch though. Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> well, I have, I, I have people do this. I, I call this that won't work guy. And it, there's always one of these in the gym and, you know, they'll come up to you and be like, no, oh, that won't work. And then you're drilling it on them. And they're making it as difficult as possible for you to execute that drill because they want to prove they're right and the instructor's wrong. Like, guys, nothing is going to work 100% of the time. We all all know that. But like, you got to give people the ability to at least train and try these things so that they can figure out the limitations on their own. Yeah. And back to the original question about like, if you, if you're, uh, you know, you, maybe your UK all of a sudden starts to do a move differently and you go down a rabbit hole and you're drilling something different and uh, different from what your instructor said to drill. And is that rude or not? I mean, I think you mentioned that, uh, it kind of depends how far down the rabbit hole they yeah. go. Like if your instructor shows like, you know, a choke from the back and then he looks over and you're practicing like worm guard or something <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, that, that, uh, that is a little bit, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit off topic, but I also think it, it, it kind of matters as, as bad, I guess, as this sounds is like, it kind of also matters the rank of the, the students, because if I show a move, uh, and I, you know, I look over and I see two white belts doing that, 
drill, I'm going to be happy with it. If they're doing something else completely, I'll be like, well, you guys are white belts. So like you should be trying what I'm showing you mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm give you're coming here to learn from me. So it kind of makes sense. But if I if I have like two purple belts or, a, a you know, a, a really one of my good blue belts and, a, and a, another blue belt or whatever, and I know that they know the technique and I know that they're good, I'm going to give them a little bit more leeway if I look over and I see them doing something um you know something slightly different because because obviously they know predictable responses and they're going down a rabbit hole and having a moment where they're sort of learning right so okay i don't want to disrupt that but if i looked over and saw them doing worm guard i'd be like hey what the fuck are you guys doing we're supposed to be doing this right like like i get it you want to do worm guard but we're doing rear naked choke right now or something like that right yeah yeah and you know the thing is i mean i know sometimes it can be tempting to go down that rabbit hole and it can seem harmless but like as Uke, you don't necessarily know what your partner wants to drill. I mean, yeah. maybe the class is doing a, a very basic arm bar for, from closed guard and you don't want to do that. So you're doing something crazy and fancy. Well, maybe your training partner really wants to actually <laughs> do the arm bar from closed guard and you're yeah. taking them away from what would actually benefit them. So yeah. you got to be careful when you try to like commandeer the class and do what you want to yeah. do. And a lot of the time, you're tra- like you said, your training partner probably would agree with it just because they don't want to be uncomfortable in the situation. Like they're yeah. not going to be like, well, I don't know like we should be doing this it's like you know come on i, I want to have fun i want to do what i want to do and so a lot of people just go along with it but they don't want to you know they don't mean to disrupt the class or disrespect professor they're just kind of like well i didn't want to say no right so or maybe the person you're drilling with outranks you and they're like no no we'll do this instead it's like mm-hmm. you know if you're a lower rank what are you gonna do you're probably gonna be like okay yeah. sure like i'll just go along with it well that's a good question like how do you think the relationship with uk changes depending on the relative experience level like what about if Uke is way more senior than you, or in some cases, maybe even Uke is way more junior than you. What What are your thoughts on like how that relationship is going to change based on that level of experience? Well, I think I think it depends on like the role or social. Yeah, the, the I guess the role of the higher belt, like is the higher belt uh, an established instructor in the class or has like a leadership role in the class or is the higher belt like just a competitor that's just there to, to get good on their own? Like it kind of matters because... Um, you know, m- most of the time, if I'm a if I'm a lower belt and I'm partnered up with higher belt, I should be listening to everything they're saying. And if they correct me, I shouldn't be like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, I'm not saying don't question them. I'm just saying, like, you know, keep in mind that they have put in more time and you should be paying attention to their to their opinion. That's all. Uh, and, and if you're a lower rank working with a higher rank, you shouldn't be like you shouldn't be that guy. That's always the what, it, uh, you know, the this wouldn't work guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You should be going along with it. If you're a higher rank. And you're a competitor, you probably just want to get your reps and you're focused on your own development, uh, which is kind of a selfish approach but it's the reality of wanting to to achieve something high at the well, com- if, you, if you've got level. a sh- yeah if you've got a short-term goal that like you need to hit and there's a timeline yeah like I'd, what if you're preparing for a competition yeah I, I think it's reasonable at that point to be like look it's not that i want to be a bad uke here but i got a prior like i got a major tournament next week so i got to focus on that like sometimes yeah. you know i come in and i'm training and there we train with a lot of guys who are like mma fighters and sometimes they just don't want to roll with me because they know i'm not going to give them the reps they need right like yeah. they want to roll with someone who's going to wall wrestle them and is going to try to actually take them down they don't want to roll with a guy who's going to like pull turtle on them right which i will do so yeah. i'm i and i have this happen a lot where like i'll have like a blue belt come up to me and say steve i don't want to roll with you because this is not the rep this is not what i need for the the match i've got next week it's like that's that's totally totally fine and understandable right yeah absolutely and and on the other side it's like if you if you are the more experienced uk 
and you're going with a, a junior student and you are a leader, then it makes sense for you to, you know, you're, you're kind of on the hook to, to guide the uke through, you know, the process and, and not just help each other get better at the move, but uh, educate the person on, you know, uke's responsibilities and saying, mm-hmm. you know, okay, like, you know, you're, you could be a better drilling partner by doing this, or you could give me some resistance here or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, it, you know, either way you should, I think the best attitude to have is to try and make everyone in the room good yeah. rather than just focus on yourself. But I've always also loved sharing and teaching. Yeah. So it's, I feel like I'm slightly different in that way from like a just a pure competitor mm-hmm. usually if you're a high level competitor and and competing is your goal you're probably not going to get partnered up with anyone junior just because you need someone uh that's high level to be able to to drill properly with you yeah especially if you're like in competition season too i mean it's one thing if you just wrap competition season and you've got a month off and you're kind of taking it easy and trying to let your body heal then in that case probably you're going to roll more casually than you normally would. But I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're going to like ADCCs in two days, then then you're going to have to pick training partners who can challenge you and, and help you sharpen the knife. So something that you brought up, which I think is interesting, is if you're the more experienced UK, you have the opportunity to provide some pointers and some coaching to the more junior guy. But And, and usually, of course, in the club, I'm going to be the more experienced guy. Uh, now, that said... One of the things that I learned uh, quite a while ago is that people learn incrementally. You cannot just sit someone down and knowledge dump everything onto them in 10 minutes and have them become an expert. This is a mistake that a lot of people make is like if I'm drilling with a white belt who's just seeing a move for the first time, it's not productive for me to correct and micromanage everything that they're doing wrong because we'll be there all day and they won't learn anything and they'll just get frustrated um it's all about incremental learning you make sure that they nail the the fundamental things that they're actually focused on basically the base level stuff and once they get comfortable with that and they start seeing the limitations of what they know they're going to start asking you other questions like well what if the hand goes here what if the foot goes there and then you layer on the next level but if you're with a white belt and you're basically expecting them to know all of the details that like a brown belt would know and you're stopping them every three seconds to add a detail, you're just going to overwhelm them. I mean, Rob was talking about this when he was with us where he was discussing how like a, a blind spot that he had was that, you know, there's different levels of what people want and you kind of have to feed to people what they're looking for. Uh, so it like it doesn't make sense, for example, to go into like a complex discussion about like inver- inversion and stuff like that if a person is just trying to like figure out where the how to lock up an arm bar like you know yes there are ways to like invert out of that and that is very useful information but like let's focus on the building blocks first and then we can start layering on top of it yeah totally agree um you know you know what else is so funny what what a really shitty uke would do is I know a few people who have no problem showing up like half hour late or showing yeah. up just before rolls right so like yeah. my my school is pretty uh it's pretty easy going. Like we don't really bow in. You can come and go kind of whenever you want, but by come and go whenever you want, I mean like you can be a few minutes late and you can leave a few minutes early, or if you don't want to roll, you can leave before rolls. Right. Um, but some people will come in like a half hour late, like right in the middle of the lesson where they've missed the entire drilling portion, the first, the first half hour of the class, which like basically sets the tone for the entire class. Yeah. And then they come in and they're all like, Oh, what are we doing? And then so the, then they partner stop up. Stop everything, guys! Guys, yeah. stop everything! Roll the clock back. We got to do this all over again to accommodate me because I was late. Exactly, and and then so what happens is usually that you know 
people are in pairs, so they'll partner up with a group of three, and then the group of three will now be spending time, or the you know the other two people will be spending time catching up said per, said Uke who walked in late, uh, thus causing them to miss time doing repetitions and mm-hmm. and practicing. So it's like, you know, if you're gonna show up late, don't expect anyone to to spend any time catching you up. Like it's kind of your responsibility. It's up to you to apply yourself and watch and and come up with it yourself. And also definitely don't be going up to the instructor and saying, hey, can you just catch me up? I <laughs> just a half hour late. Like if you're late, I get it. You know, there's um everyone has their own life or whatever. And I, and I think acknowledging to the instructor as well that you were late is, is a big thing too, that, that goes a long way. Yeah. If you just walk in and try and blend in, it's like, it's like if you show up to work late, it's like, yeah, it's, it's forgivable as long yeah. as you just, you bring it up and you apologize. Um, yeah. And if it's going to be an ongoing thing, like if you have to pick up your daughter from gymnastics or whatever, and it's going to be an ongoing thing where you're going to be consistently late 20 minutes, like have that conversation. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And as that's long fine. As it, it's yeah. expected and it's not disruptive. I mean, we've got a few guys like that at our gym where just due to the schedule that they have, it, it just isn't feasible for them to get there right on time. So they're always going to be between like five to 15 minutes late and that's fine. And they just kind of sneak into the class while it's going and we, you know, we, they, they're not disruptive. Um, but yeah, if you're being disruptive about it, then that's a completely different conversation. Yeah. And, and even worse, if you don't know it's disruptive, like if you just think, oh, well, I'm here, so people should be sharing this stuff with me, but I was a half hour late. It's like, you should have that uh, that p- mindfulness to know that that's not really yeah. cool. <laughs> it's not going to be looked uh, looked upon as a good thing. And like I said, if you're not there during the drills, and then you show up right before rolls, and you're fresh as a daisy, and then everyone else is like tired from drilling and, and practicing and thinking, and then this new person's going to come in, they're basically saying, well, I don't care about your guys' development. I'm basically just here t- for my own roles, yeah. uh, my own selfish reasons. And you guys, you know, have been training for the last hour. I don't really give a shit. I'm just going to come in and have fun and roll. Um, that's also a really selfish yeah. thing to do. It just shows that you don't really care about making anyone else better. Long time ago, um, we had a visitor, not, not at the gym I train now, but like at, at a previous gym, we had this uh, brown belt visitor from out of country and he came by and he was like, he was one of these like, uber serious guys who would just never smile and everyone hated him. Like I, I remember at one point, um, he was rolling with one of our, one of our really high level guys and he got this, this visitor got stuck in a triangle and he got pissed off and started trying to slam. <laughs> and so of course our, our guy just like cranked the triangle on really, really tight and then lectured the guy afterwards. And this guy, and you know, we, so we were telling this guy, like, you got to settle down. You got to like be part of the team here. And he's like, I'm not here to make friends. So it's like, <laughs> eventually, guess what country he was from. Eventually we had to escort the guy out of the gym. And that was the last time we really yeah yeah we had to actually like escort him and remove him from the gym because he was just a total prick yeah i i can let me ask what country do you think he was from it starts with a b no actually no no he was uh he was i think a japanese judoka actually but no he (laughs) this was a situation where i think just you know coming from like a a much more traditional martial art where they're all they take it super duper seriously (laughs) it's way more respectful (laughs) yeah i I don't know what's so respectful about slamming people in a triangle but like he you know just i guess they Uh, he took it much much more seriously so probably didn't know what a triangle was and he's like what are you trying to do to me (laughs) what is this uh yeah. yeah, but that, that was an interesting story. I actually had an interesting Uke story uh, a few weeks ago where we had this new white belt um, and we put him with a, a much smaller blue belt in our in our class and they're rolling. And like, I'm looking over and he's like, I think he's trying to kill this blue belt. Like he's going like 110% against uh, this yes, blue belt. Agro white belt. Yeah. And so, so like this poor blue belt is just like clinging to survival. And of course, 
he's he's a really good blue belt. So eventually he like mounts this guy and just like takes the piss out of him. Yeah. So afterwards, I'm like, well, I, I want to go roll with this white belt. So I go and I roll. <laughs> no, I want some. Yeah, I go roll. And, I and, and he way. did surprise me. Like he had, I don't know what his background was, but he had, he had really good movement for yeah. a guy who hadn't trained. Yeah. Like, and so I, I, anyway, he went to do like, uh, to try and pass and I pulled turtle and I swept him from there. And then he said, I'm going to throw up. And he got up and ran off the mat, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love, they have no idea how to like manage their yeah, nerves. I, or... I love that when guys are like going hundred ten percent on you, and then when you get on top, they're like, "Okay, I'm done." <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Oh, I see now. Yeah. I see that I'm screwed. Yeah. Nothing like a good adrenaline dump, right? Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I mean, I always have new people coming into the door, and you know, you're always gonna every every now and then you get that guy that's like brand new white belt super aggressive you just hope to god he's like not over 150 pounds right <laughs> yeah. he's a huge guy then that's okay now this yeah. is actually going to be someone doing damage if it's a small guy spazzing out then it's like it's like it's like watching a kitten fight it's kind of adorable actually yeah like in terms of how i roll with people i generally will always try, unless unless there's there's a few guys that like you know they come see me because they want me to go hard with them yeah. so I'll, I'll go harder with them and, and especially a few of them you know I have a I have a chat group with a few guys and we're always like just talking shit to each other, basically leading up to training. And then we get to training. We train, you know, only specifically do we try and really like go each other hard. But most of the time I'm going to try and and, uh, you know, kill with kindness. Right. Like try and try and keep it at a pace where I'm not using attributes. I'm just trying to use technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll go with those like small white belt spaz guys. And it's like, OK, now I now I have to show you now I have to show you that. You know, you can't do anything. Yeah, you, yeah. You, and, and yeah, especially when you see these types of people going hard at like some of your friends or some of your, you know, some of your guys that are, are trying to be nice. And then, you know, maybe they eat an elbow or something or or this person is like grinding their face and you just catch this out of the corner of your eye. You're like, okay, now we have to go. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, if you have a hyper, justice must be served. Yeah, if you have a hyper aggressive uke like that in your gym, um, like for me, when I roll with guys like that, I we've talked about this in the past. I never try to match aggression with aggression. Like it's just not worth the chance of injury to myself to make a statement against a white belt. So my strategy for dealing with these guys is always basically just boa constrictor, right? Like I, I will go slow and steady and methodical and gradually just grind the life out of yeah. them. You know, <laughs> and just show. I think I think the most powerful part of that approach is just showing them that. Yeah, I don't need I, to use. I don't yeah. need to use the intensity that you're using, yeah. and I can still dominate. You. I'm just gonna mind fuck you, yeah. and then once I get you in a position, you're done. Like, yeah. and yeah. then just let them feel that pressure, like. Like these guys, th- this one guy in particular recently he came and he went so hard with one of my guys and I watched him and then I went hard or I went with him and he started going really hard with me. Was this one where I was there? I think I saw this. Possibly. I think I was there and you were sitting there going, I have to roll with this guy. Possibly. I have to roll with this guy. And, and, and you know, when you, afterwards I, t- I told, I talked to him and I said, I give him the warning, right? Like I don't, I don't call him out necessarily in front of everyone, but I just say, you know, like, uh, if you go hard your partner has basically the right to match the intensity, right? So the harder you go, the the more your partner is going to play off of it. So just keep that in mind that it's better to train light. So I've now I've, I've given them the disclaimer. I've told them <laughs> full on, like you should, you should basically roll lighter. And then the guy came right at me so hard. It's like, okay, I'm going to sweep you. And then when I mounted the guy, I basically just cr- crushed his face with my torso <laughs> for like five minutes <laughs> and just like let him move and exhaust himself and then just transition. And at the end, the guy's totally left thinking like, what the hell just happened? Like, how c- I couldn't do anything, right? That's kind of the power of, ju- of jujitsu. If you can remember like, 
rolling for your first time and how how hard it was going against someone who actually knew what they were doing. Yeah. Right? Now this, you know, you bring up a really good point here, which is that sometimes like depending on who you are, sometimes you want to have a really hard role and sometimes you don't. And part of the job of a good uke is to give your opponent the level of resistance that they want to have and that they're ready for. Now, we've talked in the past about how like the ideal thing to do is to grow from resistance. You want to take someone from where they're at and you want to push them just a baby step beyond that, right? And then once they get accommodated with that, you give them just a little bit more resistance. That's the best way to learn and to grow. But that said, you have to do this within the context of what your opponent is comfortable with, right? If for some reason your opponent is not comfortable with going above and beyond that, it isn't really appropriate for you as Uke. And in fact, it can be very damaging to push them out of their comfort zone if they're not willing to do that. So like the example I gave is like if, you know, if you're like a 250 pound blue belt and you're training with a 150 pound teenage girl, like it is not appropriate for you to be constantly trying to smash them, right? I mean, now the interesting thing- I disagree. (laughs) The the quality. Well, the interesting thing is at some point, you know, once you become experienced enough, then most people kind of understand like, okay, I'm going to get better if you turn the dial up. But for people who are like just starting out at jujitsu, you're going to lose a lot of people who could potentially wind up being some of your best students if you just let like aggressive people just smash them all the time. So one of the things that as an instructor you have to be mindful of is do you have any bully UKs in the gym? Because you you can lose a lot of business if you just have someone who is making everyone else around them miserable. I mean, we've, you know, I think everyone who's who's, uh, been an instructor or even a senior belt at a gym has seen this at some point in time where there is somebody who is basically just going way too hard with people who don't even really understand what jujitsu is yet and they get scared and discouraged and angry and they just leave right I mean and the sad thing is if you gave those people two three years of training they could wind up being awesome but if you push them beyond what they're comfortable with then without their consent effectively then you're going to lose a lot of business so as an instructor you got to be mindful of that and watch when that's happening in your gym yeah and you, and you do have to kind of make that correction if that does happen. It's not an easy conversation no, to be like, not. hey, you're going too hard or whatever. But it does have to happen. And eventually, if you do it enough times as an instructor, it just sort of becomes part of it. Like having those awkward conversations is yeah. just... It's kind of part of just being the shepherd to your your herd, right? Yeah. You have to you have to be able to do that. And like you said, if you're... If you're basically 200 pounds and over, like you really have to think about how you, you use your weight. And I, I feel like some people don't have that ability. Like they're not able to turn, at least not easily turn it down. Mm -hmm. And again, as the instructor, you have to be the one to say, Hey, like realize that you're like 80 pounds, 90 pounds bigger than me. Like you shouldn't be using strength. If you do, you're creating a false positive for yourself. Like even if you sit, like I have, I have this one guy who uses quite a bit of strength and I am constantly trying to like remind him, Hey, you have to go lighter. You have to go lighter. Like this guy will pass my guard. He weighs like 260 and he's a blue belt. And I'm like, Cause he's just smashing me. And oh, gra- I know the guy and grabbing yeah. my head and like doing weird stuff. And I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, you might submit me, you might pass me, but if I was your size, do you think that would work? Yeah, like, yeah. I think, I think if, if trying to win every role is your goal, uh, you're not going to make a lot of friends and you're not really going to get the best technique. But if, yeah. if, uh, you know, improving is your goal and, and getting better technique is your goal, should probably lighten up on this because I know you can smash me. Like I yeah. know you can use your weight 
That's not really what jujitsu is all about though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to be able to beat someone who's even bigger than you, who's even better than you at, yeah. if you can. I'm reminded of when I used to train with a guy who was easily the biggest guy in the gym. No one was even close and he'd smash everyone. And then one day we had like an Armenian wrestler visit from out of town, like a white, <laughs> who was a white belt in jujitsu, but he just smashed our guy and it was just, oh, it was so awesome to watch. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, I feel like big UK's, you know, it's a gift and a curse in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah, like big you, man shaming. Yeah. Like, you know, big men always hear about like, oh, you're really technical for a big guy and, <laughs> and all this stuff. And, you know, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're so strong after, after you like, cause I, I know a lot of big guys, I have quite a few big guys at my school and they always tell me like they were rolled with so-and-so and then after they just smashed him, but completely with technique. And then after they're like, man, you feel so strong. It's like, it's like the most underhanded <laughs> that is such a compliment, backhand compliment for a, for a, uh, a big guy. Yeah. Right. And it's just, that would piss me off so much as a big guy. And yeah. as the little guy, you know, you have a gift and a curse as well. The gift is that you're basically always be given the, you know, you'll always be the given the, the underdog sort of status. Yeah. And the, the curse is that you're always going to be the smallest guy, you know, or the majority of your roles, yeah. you're going to be the smallest guy so i mean from my experience i mean there are some big guys that i would consider dangerous roles but i think most big people they've probably been told their whole lives to be careful because of their size and their strength and a lot of them seem to kind of have that awareness pre-built in for me the guys who i find are kind of like the most dangerous are in the like 170 pound range where like they're they're big enough that they can do real damage if they spaz but they're not so big that anyone has ever bothered to lecture them about this before like these are the guys that i notice where i feel like man these people are really out of control once you get up to guys who are like 200 pounds or so uh they seem to at least have been scolded at some point in their life and they know that they can't just like completely smash and destroy people because they're so powerful it's i I think the guy from what i've seen the guys who are just a bit smaller than that that can really inflict the harm um yeah and you know as a as a senior rank or as a gym owner or instructor you have to take action when you see basically bully ukes in your gym and i know it's a difficult conversation to have and you never want to like scare them off but from what i've seen honestly like a lot of the 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 guys who come in and they're they're bullies they're not the students who last like a lot of the time these guys they'll come and they'll train with you for maybe a year and then they're gone like they don't really hang around um it's i think you're far better off trying to maintain and cultivate the people who are much more passionate about it and are just generally like good members of your team um you know i I, if someone is a bully i would not be afraid of like losing their business because first of all they're they're probably costing you a lot more business than they're than they're uh giving you oh, by being them there themselves uh and also a lot of the time those guys don't stick around mm-hmm. yeah um yeah so I- interesting chat about uke um i hope that if there's one thing that people take away from this is that as the recipient of the drill you have an opportunity to learn and also an opportunity to help your partner uh, that's going to change a lot depending on your level of seniority but even if you're a white belt and your opponent is much more senior you still have something you can bring to the table my my general advice is just as uke be transparent with your opponent and basically ask them how much resistance do you want me to give this is what i normally do is i'll say like okay do you want me to give any resistance here and they'll say yeah 10 percent. and then after we bang out like two minutes worth of reps i'll say do you want me to crank it up a little bit and they'll say yeah 30 percent. and just as long as you're operating within the expectations of your opponent uh and you're just constantly trying to just push them a little bit out of their comfort zone every time to me that's what a good uk is Yes, I agree. And definitely as an instructor, I think the best, the best things that I enforce in in the school are safety, uh, you know, helping each other out. um, And yeah, just, 
I think a good uke basically does everything that will help their partner out. And that, and that actually leaves the mats, which is, the, you know, when we speak uke, usually we're talking about in training, like your your direct training partner. But being a good uke, you know, means other things too, like uh, like in terms of being a good teammate. Like if you're traveling with your teammates and you're at a tournament, you know, having someone, usually someone needs to film the matches. Someone needs to, if you need water that, you know, your training partners are, are there for you, that getting you whatever you need to do to, to succeed at any given time, not just during training every day. So, but obviously when we say, okay, we we're usually referring to getting repetitions or practicing throws or whatever. Yep. Awesome. Cool. So in terms of the mental models that we talked about today, we talked about predictable responses. One of the biggest benefits as Uke that you can give to your partner is to help them understand the predictable responses to whatever you're drilling. Because as we've mentioned before, just knowing the happy path, the things that you do when the move is working right, that's not enough to really be able to pull off a move in a live role. A good Uke will help you understand what your opponent is likely to do and help you learn how to respond respond to those predictable responses. We talked about raising the level in the room. Uh, it's so important to, especially when you're senior, to improve the quality of the rest of the people in the gym, because that will ultimately improve your own training as well as theirs. We talked about beginner's mind. <laughs> in the context of uke, that basically means not just like trying to shut down discussion or shutting down ideas or going against the instructor. Like you want to acknowledge that you don't know everything, no matter how senior you are. And you always want to encourage discourse and the sharing of information. We talked about incremental learning. Uh, you can't learn everything all at once. It's best to break your instruction into layers. You know, if a person is very new at something, you can't expect them to just memorize everything right away. If you try to info dump every detail on them, they're just going to get frustrated. So the best thing to do is to feed them in bites, you know, give them a, a little bit of information. And once they get to the point where they kind of see the limits of that and they start asking, they start asking questions like, well, what do I do if this happens? That's when they're ready for the next step. Mm -hmm. And we talked about growth from discomfort. Really, the most valuable thing that you can do as Uke is go to your opponent's comfort zone and gradually try to push them just a little bit to the next level, just a little bit of resistance, just a little bit outside of where they're comfortable with. Um, that's going to help them get better. If, on the other hand, you just try to immediately smash them, you're not a very good Uke. So... Unless, unless they're unless they are high level training partners and they want to get smashed, yeah which is totally understandable. And, and in that case like they're coming in asking for like 100 percent resistance and in that case it would be irresponsible for you to give them anything other than that right but that's a situation where you are just meeting their expectation you're not going in there with someone who is like they're like day one white belt and you're just trying to murder them you don't want to do that <laughs> cool Although it can be funny to watch <laughs> so matt uh, i got a question here okay Okay, it's a pretty long one, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. What do you think about the increased potential of injury when standing and rolling with bigger people? In particular, how, how do you help your students and training partners be good partners, get in some hard training, but still train relatively safely? For context, I'm 41 years old, 6 foot 2 and 233 pounds, one stripe purple belt, been training for about 5 years. I'm not the biggest guy at our small club, but I'm often the biggest who shows up and often the most experienced slash skilled. So I often roll with smaller junior people. A few years ago, I accidentally injured a training partner's back and felt terrible about it. He's much smaller than I am, but very strong and more skilled, so we were rolling pretty hard. No slamming, but stacking and crushing was included in our training. Uh. As a larger, more solid person than most, I feel that I put my training partners at a higher risk of injury, and if I step up my intensity, especially for speed... 
Uh, like if I accidentally trip on them or get tangled up in a poor way, their frame is more likely to fail under the extra pounds. Ironically, in tournaments, I have been the small person because I end up in the super heavy or combined upper weight classes. Mm -hmm. So I decided to work on my small guy game, both in terms of some position and technique choices and to have another speed gear and increased fluidity of movement. Nowadays, I tend to get compliments for being good to roll with instead of being just big and uh, not smashing and, and being safe to roll with. This is probably just a side effect of more experience and technique too. Anyway, I think I've put enough on the table here. You guys are, of course, familiar with these multiple dichotomies. I respect your takes and opinions and would really appreciate them on your show at some point. So we spent a lot talking about this actually in this episode right here, but basically the gist of I think what we're being asked here is like when you're the bigger, more experienced guy, what are your responsibilities when training with smaller or more junior people and how do you avoid creating situations where injuries can happen while still balancing that with getting the hard training that you need? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, in this case, it sounds like he kind of realizes where he screwed up Mm -hmm. and has made adjustments, which have actually led to uh, an improvement in his game. So that's good to hear. Uh, I would have recommended the same thing, which is just focus on like your guard, like your inversions, all the stuff that little guys do try and imitate that. Because I find some of the hardest guys that are big, uh, that uh, the hardest roles that I have at my gym uh, with big guys is they tried to adopt like barambolos and things like that. And it gives them a totally different look, right? Mm-hmm. Totally different fighting style that people that size don't usually do. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's unfortunate that he, that this guy hurt his back. You, you do unfor- like you have to be careful when you're big doing moves like stack passing and pressure mm-hmm. passing and things like that, because you know, the, the truth is, is that you will be chastised more if you hurt someone just because you're big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's always good to be mindful of and concerned with the health of your opponent. Uh, and it's good, you know, if you do, if someone does get injured rolling with you, it's good that you feel guilty about it, regardless of whose fault it is. I mean, if you, if you're one of those people who doesn't really care, if you hurt your opponent, you are a psychopath <laughs> and you're exactly. not, and no one's going to roll with you. Um, but that said, like, that doesn't, it's hard to know without having been there and without knowing the context, but it is also important to understand that injuries do happen and it, you know, yes, it's good that you, you're sorry about this and you're looking to, uh, you know, you're looking to avoid have this happen in the future, but like sometimes injuries just happen and it's not necessarily anyone's fault. Um, I mean, I was rolling with a, a black belt a while back and I inverted and just, he zigged and I zagged and I, my knee got tweaked a bit, right? Like it, it happens. It wasn't a situation where anyone did anything wrong. No mm-hmm. one was trying to hurt anyone. No one was out of control. Um, stack passes and such are part of the game. Like that is a, a very effective passing strategy, actually, regardless of your size. So, you know, you're not doing your opponents any favors if you cut that out of your game completely. I would just say if you're doing moves like that, just be mindful of putting weight down on people's necks or like collapsing their spine too much. Uh, Generally speaking, for a lot of moves, like you shouldn't need to fold someone up like an accordion. If you're doing that, you're probably not being as safe as you could be, especially if you're doing it with speed and with force. Like if you're just trying to slam someone into that accordion position where they're kind of like their their head is like folded into their stomach, that's always going to be dangerous. And you can do a stack pass without doing that. Like I, I stack pass all the time, even yeah, against it much... It can be done safely. Yeah, even against much larger opponents, I stack pass them. And it's just, there's a way to do it where you're not basically collapsing their spine completely. So I would say just work on that. Um, 
Whenever you do injure someone, regardless of who was at fault, always good to take ownership of the situation and to apologize and ask if like they need a ride to the hospital or anything, you know, <laughs> if you can get them some ice. Basically take ownership of the situation, regardless of whose fault it was, because as Uke, you are responsible for what happens right. to your training partner. And if they get hurt, like regardless of the context, regardless of who was technically at fault, you should always ask yourself, especially if you're the more senior guy, you should always ask yourself, is there anything you could have done to prevent this situation? Uh, but yeah, that, that said, I mean, there is a dichotomy here because on one hand you need to look out for Uke, but on the other hand, injuries can and will happen. So you kind of have to balance that, right? You don't want to be going so soft. And I've had this with big guys before where they are so scared to hurt me that they basically don't do anything. And that's And their game can can actually get worse. Yeah, yeah. And and that for me, that is worse, right? Because I train jujitsu wanting to learn how to defend myself against bigger opponents. So if bigger opponents are afraid of really doing anything to me like that isn't helping them and it's not helping me yeah one of the things i actually get the kids to repeat almost every class is if my opponent or no if my partner gets hurt it is my responsibility and basically just like hammer that into their head because kids don't know this stuff Mm -hmm. just like kids don't know how to be good ukes naturally it takes time to tell them hey you don't just want to limp noodle you need to you need to actually pretend you're like a resisting opponent right mm-hmm. uh and, and on another note to this person's um question or comment or whatever uh if you are looking to compete you're gonna need to well ideally you know i don't know where you live geographically you could be living in the yukon somewhere where there's no well actually there'd probably be a lot of big guys there but <laughs> like bears i you, mean if nothing else you can wrestle those you know if, if geographically you're at a gym where you are the biggest guy and everyone else is smaller and you're the most skilled guy that's not the best i don't think i'm not saying you can't get good but you know if you're going to go to tournaments and you're you're the you're fighting other big guys let alone getting looped into guys that are in a weight class above you and you're not used to fighting guys that are bigger um you know like i said it's not like you can't get good training at the gym you're at but you you will need to seek out bigger training partners in my opinion to get the best Mm -hmm. training because yeah you need to prepare yourself for that type of body that body type and that size so yeah uh especially if you're the usually the small competitor in the in the bigger weight class division Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that you're at a gym where your instructor encourages cross training i mean we've talked in the past about how important it is to have a community mindset when it comes to jujitsu like a good gym will let you train anywhere else if your instructor is going to uh you know be upset if you train at another gym that's really not a good sign i would at that point maybe consider other options uh really that's you're missing out on a lot of what makes jujitsu great if your instructor expects you to be insular to your community so really if your instructor is a good instructor he or she should not be expecting that you train nowhere else you should be more than allowed to go and visit other gyms and just get some reps in with people who may be bigger and still very experienced yeah and if you're not allowed find a new gym yep and if you're in the Port Coquitlam, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know where to By find us. Way. Yeah, you know where to find us if you want to train with us. Anyway, um, I think that was a great chat, Matt. Thanks for that. Thank just, you. Just to go through the plugs, if you want to support us, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com/store. As always, we sell gi patches on there. We also sell T-shirts. So anything that you buy there does support us. Uh, we really do appreciate all of the support that you guys provide. If you want to get more content from us, you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com/join. 
join, sign up for our mailing list. You'll get announcements about the podcast as well as detailed articles from Matt and myself. If you want to review some of the mental models that we've discussed here, you can go to our main website, bjjmentalmodels.com, where we have a catalog of all of these concepts that we discuss. And if you want to follow us or chat with us or just see what we're up to, we're active on both Facebook and Instagram. So find us and add us there. Uh, We really appreciate hearing from you guys, getting any feedback. And as always, if you've got any questions or comments or suggestions from the show, we'd love to hear from you. So please do share. Please do keep in touch. Thanks again for hanging out with us for another week and actually for a full year. It's been a whole calendar year. So big thank you to everyone who's been here, especially those from the early days. Uh, We hope that we've gotten better over the year and we hope that there's been a noticeable improvement in quality, both in terms of audio and content. Uh, Thanks again, Matt. Anything else you want to add? No, I don't. Okay. Take it easy, guys. Talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.